0: In one of the times uh, when I delivered a keynote about building trust in the remote and hybrid work scenarios, I said, and I typically say that, if you can't trust your employees to work from home unsupervised, you have the wrong employees. And what I meant is that you have employees that you can't trust, period. Doesn't matter if they work from home or they work at the office. And someone asked me a pretty insightful question. How do you hire trustworthy employees? Or how do you know when you hire an employee that they're going to be trustworthy? When we interview employees, we typically focus on their technical and professional capabilities. And although that's important, that falls into the competence component of trustworthiness. So it is a part of trustworthiness, but it's not enough. It's not the only part. It's not the only thing that would make them trustworthy or allow us to trust them. Sometimes we need something Uh, more of the soft skills, and we're not typically trained on assessing those soft skills. A typical hiring manager is not trained on assessing those. Uh, It's even worse, uh, and that's that the team where this new employee is going to work is not trained on assessing those. And even more rare than that, do we ever do anything in the interview process to answer the question, is this a trustworthy employee? This episode will address what you do before you even start the interview process, the pre-work after you've started it but haven't interviewed yet. This is when you address the who you are. I'll talk about the first impression. I'll talk about the interview itself. But then I'm going to remind you of the relativity of trust and why it's important to have a team interview. That was an area that I didn't address before in this podcast, so I'll do it in this episode and I'll probably revisit it in the future. But here are my first take on this question, right after this. The process really needs to start before you invite the first in, uh, candidate, before before you start asking for resumes. You have to look at the uh, six components of the relative trust model, uh, the uh, three components of the who you are, competence, personality, compatibility, and symmetry or fairness, and the what you do, the uh, positivity as accelerated by time and intimacy. So you have to look at those six components the the model itself, and ask yourself, how do they affect this specific job that you're hiring for? What is it that you expect to see for this job on all those six components? And and I'm saying that, that, that's important because not all jobs are the same. So, for example, you know, when I talked about remote jobs in in an earlier episode, uh, I believe in this season, uh, I talked about the fact that different jobs require different interactions with people. So for example, take a software programmer that's working on their very specific part of a bigger system. They spend most of their time with their computer or a development system and not so much interacting with people, which is why, by the way, a much higher percentage of those jobs can be done remotely or even completely remotely, not even hybrid, not even one or two days a week at the office, even though I typically encourage to have at least one day with the rest of the team that you're interacting with uh, overall. Some jobs like food preparation, uh, truck drivers, pilots, and some jobs require you to interact with people all the time. So the six components would apply to different jobs differently. And to determine that a person is trustworthy or not trustworthy based on a generic and absolute, a universal definition of those six components is going to be problematic. You know, remote jobs are different than uh, uh, jobs that require you to be an integral part of a team that always interacts. Leadership jobs are different than than. Uh, individual contributor jobs so there are different types of jobs so before you even start the interview process i know it's you write the job description right and you write the requirements and in the requirements um you, you write You know, typically we write the the technical requirements, the professional requirements, uh, needs to know how to program uh, in C++ or whatever language, and uh, need to know how to operate, need to be able to lift uh, weights up to 50 pounds or things like that. Those are professional. Those are, are technical. Those are objective. But those are all parts only of the competence part. Sometimes I see job descriptions that describe little of the software skills, so ability to uh, work well with other people, uh, pleasant to work with, uh, provides good customer support. And and that's great, but how do you measure them? And the one thing that's always missing is be trustworthy. And, And from my own surveys, I already know that being trustworthy is the most important quality. Well, unfortunately, in my surveys, I found that leaders would say that trustworthiness is the second most important after the willingness to work hard. And Elon Musk in Twitter just uh, proved me right when he demanded after taking over Twitter that employees work long hours and work hard rather than be trustworthy. But it is important that that the employee is trustworthy in the context of that job. But what does it mean? So you may not be publishing this in the job description and the requirements for the job, but you need to write it out to outline this to yourself. What are the things I'm looking for for this specific job that would make me consider this candidate or any candidate trustworthy? So that's the first thing that you have to do before even starting the interview process. Before you start looking for candidates, uh, probably even before you post the job itself, um, think for yourself, lay out what do you expect from a good trustworthy candidate with respect to those six components. And it's not the same thing for all jobs and it's not the same thing for all people. And I'll get back to that later. So you posted a job, you have candidates, um, and you're getting ready to uh, invite them to an interview. There is some pre-work that you must do before you even invite them for the first time. And mainly, this is to address the who you are components. Remember, competence, personality, compatibility, and symmetry or fairness. Um, And the way to do that would be several ways. One of them is a more official background check. Background check would typically give you more on the financial side, more on the, um, you know, is this person that, that uh, you know, doesn't pay their, their bills on time? Did they move a lot and so on? It's gonna give you some information. And you know what, I, I was amazed. I, I did a background check on myself once just to get the sense and it's amazing what's available out there about you. So that that information is available to you. And you know, I'll I'll be honest with you and I know that this is a uh a side trip that I'm making here, but uh I tell my daughters when they consider dating someone, do a background check on them. Seriously. I mean, how much does it cost? 10, 20, 30, 40, that's it. And and you get enough information about them to give you some picture on who they are outside of your, your first-hand impression. So you start addressing the who you are part, a part of it. You can do yourself. I mean, find them on social media, find them on Google. Um, there are very few people that I can't find enough information about them on social media or, or on Google. And, uh, that tells me a lot about who they are. You know, the pictures they post, the people that uh, that they hang out with, the things that they do. And, and to me, by the way, not everybody's on Facebook. Not everybody's on social media. And for very valid reasons, uh, you know, we don't trust those platforms and that's fine. To me, it's always a bit of a red flag when I can't find anything about a person myself, a person who's really, really hiding their identity. Now, by the way, This is me. This is why trust is relative. This is me. I have a hard time trusting someone who has absolutely no social media uh, footprint. Other people who would rather not have their own footprint on social media as much as I do would trust that person. That's not a red flag for them. So this is something you need to consider, but I would do that either way. Even if you're a person who really values Their privacy and do not want to uh, uh, to have your footprint on social media. I would still look out for your candidates because your candidates are not might not be like you, and uh, you can learn a lot from them on social media. I mean, I can tell you a lot from political affiliation to professional affiliations to a a lot of things to whether they like. Pets or animals or anything else. I can tell you how they how they treat their kids, their spouses, and all a lot of things that I can tell you simply by looking them up on social media. And I think it's actually fair to ask them, uh, would you mind if I look through your social media? Uh, profile, which means in some cases on LinkedIn, it's not a problem. On LinkedIn, I don't have to be connected to you to be able to see your entire profile. On Facebook and and some of the more social parts, and, and socially is part of who you are and who they are. Uh, so on those, I have to actually be friends in in quote marks because it's not really friends. It's it's how Facebook defines you as friends. Uh, but uh, be friends with them or ask them to accept your friendship um, just so that you can take a look at their social media. And and it's fair. It's fair to let them know that that you're actually doing that. Another component comes from the fifth law of trust, and that's that trust is transferable, which means I would trust you if I trust someone who trusts you even if I don't know you at all. I, I may not trust you to the same level, And this is really what I refer to that here in this context of hiring a candidate is references, reference checks. So uh, I want you to take references today uh, with a grain of salt. So first of all, the candidate will give you convenient references. Okay, so... You know, if somebody wants to hire you and they're asking for references, would you first call the people you're about to give as references and tell them, prepare them, and so that you know first they're not going to be surprised, and second, you you want to get a sense of are they going to say good things or bad things. Um, and you know, typically you would only give the references that you know will give good good things. A friend of mine. Um, he was about to be hired out of the company that we both worked for so we both worked for the same company but we were friends outside of work as well and he was about to get an offer and the ceo of that company knew me and he used me as a reference now i told him i'm, I'm gonna say what i really think I, I really admire you i really think a lot of you um But I'm, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And uh, if asked, I'm going to share the imperfections that you have. And he was fine with that. And as it turned out, the CEO of that company did not talk to anybody else after he talked to me for two reasons. One is he knew me. So he knew that, you know, my reference uh, of that, my friend or that candidate, he knew that that was, uh, uh, that, that that was more reliable to him because he knew me personally. Not, not very well, but but to some extent. But the other thing is that first I disclosed that this is a good friend of mine. Uh, but the second thing is I told him things that were not very favorable. They're not a lot, frankly, and I still don't think, I, I still think very highly of that friend and we're still friends. But... um. I told him I told him the good, I told him the bad. He decided the bad was was not bad enough. And then it was, and it was, you know, it was little things. Uh, but that gave him a sense that I'm giving him a very full review and not just, you know, something all positive and, and not true. Um, so if if I go back to uh, the candidate will give you convenient references. But one of the things you can do is look on LinkedIn and find who else do you have in common. So people that they are connected to, that you are connected to as well, and try and find if there is somebody there where you would go, you know what, this is a person that i know and trust more than people i don't know i mean your your random references that i don't know any of them i I don't even know if they are who you say they are and and you know maybe i do want to check on them and and that's a good idea in general if the candidate gives you references that you don't know go check them out as well to see if you can trust them but it's obviously better if there's somebody that we know now so look and find if there's somebody like this however Don't do what was done to me. I was being interviewed for a job. That was 15 years ago. I was being interviewed for a job. I was asked for references. I provided references. The CEO of the company did exactly what I said. He found someone that we are both connected to through LinkedIn, someone that he knew fairly well and trusted, And he decided to reach out to that person without asking me first. For me, that was a problem for this reason. I was still working on the previous company. And that person that we had in common actually did work for the same company I worked for before. Before he left and and started his own business which means he's still connected to people in the company where I'm still working and haven't told that I'm potentially about to accept another job offer. That was a violation of privacy. That was a violation of um, confidentiality. I mean, from that moment on, fortunately, that person actually called me and said, hey, I got a call asking me to be a reference for you. And he was... Sensitive and smart enough to know not to share it with the company I was currently working for. So find someone that you can trust and get a better uh, level of transferable trust from. But make sure that the person, the candidate you're interviewing knows or n- not just knows, but actually gives you permission for that. Um you know, it's it's fine to negotiate and suggest people that you can trust to the candidate, uh, and and tell him, you know, I know this 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 and that person. Is there a problem if I reach out to them uh, to ask for your reference other than the list that you gave me? There's one last thing that I want to say about references, and that is Continental Flight seventeen thirteen in nineteen eighty seven. That's a story that I told before and I will probably tell in the future. And this is something that I'm taking out of the NTSB report, National Transportation Security Board report. You're probably asking, what does an accident report have to do with anything? So bear with me, and, and you'll find out. Uh, in uh, this was in November 15. Now I'm reading directly from the NTSB report. I'm not making any of this up. This is coming straight from the NTSB report, accident report. On November 15, 1987, uh, Flight 17 Continental Airlines 1713, a DC9, took off and. Uh, Upon takeoff, uh, there were a few issues. Uh, They took off a little too late after being de-iced. This was in uh, Denver. Um, The takeoff uh, after a a pretty steep climb when there was ice on the wings, I'm I'm not going to go too detail into that, that plane uh, plane crashed uh, right on takeoff. Both pilots, one flight attendant, 25 passengers, sustained fatal injuries, Two flight attendants and 52 passengers have survived. Uh the FAA requires, again, this is from the NTSB report. The FAA requires carriers to conduct security checks on pilot applicants, and they require them to check references for prior employment histories uh, during the preceding five years. So they were required to do that by the FA. Continental was required to do that. So what did they do? They went and they checked. They reached out to uh the previous uh uh the previous uh, uh employer or airline employer of the first ca- uh, the the first officer uh in that flight who was actually the one flying the plane and, and took off so uh that Pilot, when, when he was in the previous airline, failed their checks after 30 hours of training, failed to do several things, uh, went beyond, I'm not gonna go into the details of piloting here. The company's chief flight instructor stated that the first officer experienced habitual difficulties um, and uh, made very little progress with training, and stated that he has a chronic problem and essentially that he was a bad pilot. Eventually, he was fired. That pilot was fired from the previous employer, the previous airline. Here's what happens when Continental Airlines reached out to the previous employer. They asked um, the question that this was the only previous employer mentioned in in that report. And uh, they asked the question, did the subject, that's the first officer, leave on his or her accord? Now, the, the NTSB already knows uh, from the previous airline that he was fired. But the answer they got from the previous uh, airline was, yes, he left on his own accord. Even though he was fired. Another question, would the subject be eligible to rehire, for rehire in the previous airline? The answer was yes, even though we know that the answer is really no. Finally, they asked the questions about the quality of the first officer's work, and it was described by the previous airline as very good, even though he was fired for being a very bad pilot. Now, uh, so the question comes, why did they do that? Well, today, employers are more afraid of being sued by the employees who just left and maybe did not get a new job because of that reference check with them I think that today they would not lie, not necessarily, not all of them would lie by saying what what the previous employer said in that case, but they might say, um, we're not able to give you a reference. We don't wanna give you a reference. Uh, Sometimes you could read between the lines and go, oh wait, so they don't wanna give a reference, maybe the reference is bad, but that might not be the case. They might just have a policy of we never give references. So keep that in mind when the reference you're getting is from a company rather than an individual. Because a company is, well, both the company and the individual are going to be liable. But uh, with a company, there are deeper pockets to go after. And if this employee, this candidate would not get the job because of that reference and somehow that came out then they may sue the previous company for preventing them from getting another job. And the previous company wants to avoid that. And because of that, they might not give a good reference. So keep that in mind when you check references. Next, I'm going to give you a warning about first impressions. Uh, there, we make assumptions based on first impressions. And the reason is because to feel safe we need a certain amount of information. And initially, when we don't have that information, initially, we rely much, much less on fact and much, much more on assumptions. And those assumptions are based on our first impressions. Now, obviously, the more you do in the previous part, uh, the more you do on reference checks, social media checks, uh, other things, uh, the more fact you're going to have and less have to make assumptions, you may want to validate some of the facts that you think you have. Um, but the less of it you do, the more you're going to rely on assumptions. So remember that your assumptions are heavily weighed by the first impression that you get. It's covered, that, that whole topic is covered very well in Malcolm Gladwell's book blink, which is one of the best ones I read, and this is how we make very, very quick snap judgments, because we do. Um, So one thing to do is ask the candidate to show up to the interview the way they will show up to work if they got the job. You want them to be authentic. Now, you can't force anybody to be authentic. You know how people show up to an interview with a a three-piece suit, or, or at least a suit and a tie and all? which is something that this would be the last time they're going to be wearing in this facility. They only do that for the interview. Tell them, look, be authentic. I mean, you may be overdressed or whatever you do. Uh, It might force, it, it, it might cause me to think differently of you. Try and be the way you are. And this is what I do. Whenever I used to, well, I don't anymore, I don't for 15 years now, but I used to go to interview the way I'm going to go there when I work there, if I work there, so that they will know who they are facing. And finally, be sensitive yourself to the fact that some of the things you think you know are actually assumptions that you're making based on first impressions. So be sensitive to what do you know is fact versus what is an assumption. So be careful with the first impressions. Now we come to the interview itself. And and the interview itself is going to be sometimes a validation of the who you are what you already know about who they are and you're going to ask questions about that and typically this is all you do today uh, and, and i want this to only be part of what you do today the second part is the what you do so uh you know on the who you are you need to fill the blanks that you didn't find you need to call call corroborate, uh, corroborate with them, uh, ask questions, um, let them know that you checked everything public about them. Um, and then you go to the what they do during the interview. So this is where you start paying attention to um, things like positivity, BS and empathy. But, but but I'll get back to that. So on the who you are, let me touch on personality compatibility. Personality compatibility is tricky. It's tricky because it's personal. You know, so you're looking at it from your perspective and the real question you're asking on personality compatibility, and I'm already, I've am already, i already told you that the biggest correlation I found to trustworthiness is whether we have shared values. The thing is, do you have shared values with the people in the team where this candidate is going to work? So, Maybe you don't have shared values with this candidate, but the team might. But I'll get back to that. I'll talk about the the team. The thing about shared values or or personality compatibility in general is that you may find things that are not compatible, that are incompatible personality-wise. Things that are compatible would increase personality compatibility. And there's an 86% correlation between that and them being trustworthy or being trusted by you or by the team. But if you find an incompatibility, there are three questions to ask. One is how important is it to the people who are going to work with this candidate and to the candidate, him or herself? This incompatibility thing. If it's very, very important, it's already going to give you an answer to the, the next two. If it's not very important, can it be changed? Is it something that can be changed? You, you know, the, the one of the simplest examples I give is when I found that my boss liked to, when I asked her for something, when I, I was trying to plead a case to her on something, uh, she would typically... She wanted to, and and this is her personality, she wanted to, for me to take her through the thought process and only at the end tell her, and therefore, here is what I'm asking. I, on the other hand, prefer to get the bottom line first because the bottom line gives me context and then give me the supporting evidence, okay? But we're opposite. We're incompatible in that, and we ran into issues over that, until i found out that that's where the issues are coming from that she prefers me to take her through my thought process and only at the end tell her what i need and i started with the bottom line because that's how i like to to digest information or make decisions how important was it to me to change it not very important question number two can it be changed yeah Every time I talked to her, I remembered, start, take her through the thought process and only at the end, give her the, and therefore, this is what I'm asking for. So it can be changed. It's not impossible. The third is, third question, are they willing to change it? And, and, you know, this, when you're hiring someone into a team, this could be, is the candidate willing to change it? Is the team willing to change it? There are two sides to it. And obviously, a subpart to be willing to change it is can you make that change permanent? And this is where my trust habits, my seven step trust habits process comes in, where you form new habits that change all behaviors that make you more trusted. So, if there is an area of personality incompatibility that you find in the interview, the area to pursue is is it important to them and the team that this is compatible? and not incompatible that this does not remain this incompatibility does not remain there if it's not important if it is important uh, obviously the the next questions are are even more important but probably the answer is no question number two can it be changed question number three is there a willing to change it and put the effort to form a new habit Okay, so that's personality compatibility. Uh, move on to symmetry and fairness. Uh, I think the best way to address symmetry and fairness is through scenario questions. So how would you behave in this scenario and that scenario? Because that's that's a little harder. And, and you know, of course, tell me a story about when you X or when you Y. Uh, tell me a story about um, what happened in a situation when, um, you worked in a team, and the rest of the team worked uh, very long hours, and you had to go. Tell me about that situation, or or the opposite. Tell me about a situation where you worked really hard on a project, but other members of the team didn't. This is kind of where you start getting sense of uh, the, the the sense of fairness or symmetry. Um, you know, you you can play uh, the the investment game. Uh, which is something that I do in my workshop. So you, there, there are different ways to get a sense and assess symmetry and fairness. The next part is the what they do, what you do, what they do. Uh, and this is, it starts with assessing the level of BS. Yes, stands for bullshit and empathy. Both of them combine to the component of positivity. But do it as objectively as possible. So, you know, try and and step outside of your body and rather than react uh on, on your gut, try and ask yourself questions about uh is what they're doing BS or or empathy. And you know, I, I have a checklist when I do my my workshops, and the checklist goes around um You know, if take BS, for example, do they use a lot of symbolism? Do they do things for show rather than uh, for real substance? Uh, There are questions about empathy and so on. So there are questions, and again, you can ask questions along the lines of how would you do something or tell me about a time when you did something in the past and and so on. There are, again, games that you can play there. Next is time and intimacy. So time-wise, give enough time for the interview. You know, if you look at 100 100 possible candidates and you go, well, I can't spend more than 10 hours and because of that, I can spend no more than six minutes per candidate. It depends. If it's not important to you, then it's not important to you. You're going to finish the interview in six minutes. uh, But the probability that you're going to be able to assess whether this is a person you can trust or not is almost none okay i would rather you narrow the list down if if those candidates are completely undifferentiated i don't know how but just narrow it down to a much smaller number of candidates uh, but spend enough time with them because that time gives you the ability to ask the questions, gives you the ability to get enough sense. Some things you need to feel in your gut, some questions need to be asked, some impressions need to be made, and they will only be made if you gave enough time for the interview. Intimacy, obviously uh, the interview should not be done over text messages or emails. Uh, It should not be done over a phone call, which is better than, than emails and text messages, I would prefer to do it in person. Um, you know, a second alternative would be do it, doing it over Zoom. Uh, or or something like that. So at least you you get a sense of their face and their their body language, because what you're looking for is you're looking for the consistency between their body language and what they tell you. You can feel that they they don't. And and again, in the book of trust, I wrote enough about uh, consistency and how you measure uh, or assess consistency. My preference is always at least, I mean, it's important. It's important. Uh, Hiring someone to the company is important. It, It has... Severe negative consequences if you hire an untrustworthy person. So spend the time, spend the money, fly them over if needed, get them there in person. Uh, of course, be careful. Uh, you are stepping on their time and maybe you're building expectations. So bottom line is use the eight laws and the six, the eight laws of trust, the six components of trustworthiness during the interview itself, and make sure that you have questions that address all of them. Um, and uh, it's mainly the six components. The eight laws are, are just things like reference and, and the fact that trust is relative and, and contextual and, and so on. Uh, but um, use the six components of the relative trust model. Use, check, use questions uh, that you will need to develop for yourself because again, different jobs are different, different people are different, and there is no one set of questions that, that would address all of that. Use cases, what would you do if, uh, examples of uh, what have you done when, uh, you can use games and so on. Uh, and that's what you should do in the interview itself to assess trustworthiness. Okay, you ready for some bad news? Well, here's some bad news. Trust is relative and personal. That's trust law number three, which means that the same behavior that would cause one person to trust me could cause another person to distrust me. I'll turn this around. The same behavior that would cause the candidate to be trusted by you could cause that candidate to not be trusted by the team they need to work with. You may end up hiring an employee that you can trust, but can the rest of the team trust them? Or the opposite of that, not much better, you may decide not to hire an employee that you don't feel you can trust, even though the team would have trusted them. This is why it's always important to do a team interview. Let that person be interviewed by the team they're going to work with. Now, don't just throw them at the team. Everything that I taught you about the interview and before the interview and so on, train your team. We're about to hire someone to your team. Here is train them on. Here is how you assess if this is somebody that you can trust. Now, uh, one of the reasons is uh, there was there were studies, not just one, studies about the bad apple phenomenon. And the bad apple phenomenon means that when you bring somebody to your team that has a bad attitude or something, they would drag the entire team down rather than the team brings them out of their bad behavior. So it is important that, that the team... Things they can trust this employee and it has a big impact the fact that they can trust them because the level of trust within the team will depend on the least trustworthy person in that team this candidate is going to be the newer member of the team so just merely based on the component of time they're not going to trust them as much as they trust each other But at least we know that over time they will, based on everything else, mainly personality compatibility, but not only, the other components as well. So that's why it's generally a good practice to have the team uh, interview them. Now the question is, uh, do you have the entire team or do you uh, in one interview or individuals? So uh, back in, what was it, 2000, Uh, I was interviewed for a senior position on the executive team of a public company. And at that time, every executive on the executive team interviewed me independently. Now, here's the funny thing. If they all got together later in the room and tried to describe the person they interviewed, they would probably at some point reach the conclusion that they all interviewed different people. And they didn't. It's just that me, I was understanding i used empathy i i understood what different people care about i didn't lie i i didn't misrepresent myself but i focused on the areas that i knew that they cared about the vp of hr cared about certain things the vp of technology cared about different things the vp of engineering cared about different things the vp of marketing cared about different things the cfo cared about different things and and because of that I steer the conversation towards the things that they care about, and I share those aspects of myself in the areas that they cared about. But their general areas, especially in the area of trustworthiness, that the entire team will care about very similarly. And so in 2008, I was interviewed for a company, and even though they scheduled a full day of interviews, individual interviews, what I suggested Was so every person on the executive team had an opportunity, an equal opportunity to spend an hour with me. What I suggested is make it a little shorter, make it 45 minutes per person, and let's start with a team interview. So this not only allowed me to get a sense of the dynamics within that team, but it also allowed them to get extra impression of me. So They spent more time with me. The first interview was about an hour and a half. So instead of each one of them spending an hour with me individually, they spent an hour and a half with me as a team and 45 minutes with me individually. So each one of them really spent two and a quarter hours with me. The first hour and a half, even if you didn't ask a question or a member of the team didn't ask a question, you still got to get your own impression from the candidate based on the answers and the behaviors to others. Not to mention that, how are you going to be a member of the team? So that's another good advice um, that start with a team interview and then let individual team members have individual interviews about areas that only they care about and not the rest. There is one final note that I want to share with you in your role as an interviewer, as a hiring manager, maybe even as a recruiter. Don't ghost them. Don't ghost candidates. You have too many candidates, don't have too many candidates, but if you do have too many candidates, don't ghost them simply because you have too many of them. Keep them updated on where they are in the process or when or where you are in the process. You know, last year I hired hired interns. Uh, to help me in my work. And uh, I had 21 or 22 candidates and I just kept them all informed of where they are in the process. If the process is taking longer, if I'm adding steps to the process, you update them. Think about things from the candidate's perspective. They want the job. They're interviewing not because they don't want the job. They're interviewing because they do want the job. That puts them in a very vulnerable situation especially when you start ghosting them they're trying to make assumptions on what does it mean are they not hiring me they're not happy with me and and so on um inform them that they were not hired so i i even with the candidates i told them i i I received 21 or 22 don't remember uh candidates uh, applications uh based on the applications i decided to move forward with 10 and I informed the 10 who they are and I informed, informed the other 11 or 12 that they were not selected to the next step. Then after the first step, uh, after the second step, I, rem- I I narrowed it down to four of them that I was going to interview in person. It was actually virtually uh, in person. Um, so, and I told the other six, uh, I'm, I'm not moving forward to the next step with you. At this point, I interviewed the four. Uh I chose I ended up choosing two even though I was going for one. I ended up choosing two and and gave two jobs and I told the other two and and not only did I told them that I didn't select them, but I told them why. I explained why. Uh simply because it can help them in the future. Why is that important? We look at the candidate as someone that we need to trust, so I need to decide if I can trust you, but what about the candidate trusting me? Here are a couple of things I want you to keep in mind. One is, let's say that the process starts going long and, and things change and you ghosted them and you eventually hire them. They, their state of mind thinking about you as the hiring manager and the company overall, Starts from a low trust perspective, because the fact that you ghosted them, the fact that you did not keep them informed in a reasonable basis made them feel you don't care. And remember that empathy is a big part of trustworthiness, so they don't trust you. Now you hired someone who doesn't trust you simply because you didn't stay in touch with them because you ghosted them. But the other thing to keep in mind, let's say that you're 100% sure that you're not hiring them today, that you, you selected someone, you hired that someone, everything is good, you're not hiring this person today. Do I really need to keep them in the loop? Do I really need to involve them? You may be hiring them tomorrow. You know what? Your company may run into them as they are getting hired by one of your customers, Think about that. You considered hiring someone to the company, you ghosted them, you didn't hire them, but you didn't do that in a good way. Uh, You didn't inform them, you just ghosted them. You just, eventually they just gave up. Then they end up being a buyer for your customer. What do they think about your company then? Keep those things in mind. Let me summarize. You can tell if you're hiring a trustworthy employee. There are ways to tell, and this is what this episode was about. There's always the chance that they're very good actors and have misled you and maybe the team. They have nothing to benefit from it in the long run because their real personality will come out. And if they can't be trusted, they will not be trusted and they will be removed from the team. So what's what's in it for them? I mean, they, they would still play that game, it's just that there's nothing in it for them. The framework I give you I gave you here in this in this episode, the six components of the relative trust model, the eight laws of trust, use that even before you actually start interviewing them. That's it for today. May trust be with you. This is the trust show. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening, or watching The Trust Show.